Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roots Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, who is my co-host, Matthew Barton, the director and managing editor of The Roots, your premier source for right sports news and analysis. The Roots Podcast is part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. You were smiling when you said that. I saw you nail it. It was great. <laughs> Much, uh, probably the smoothest overall. Did You need to work on the breath control there. I had to pause pause one spot I usually don't but it's pretty solid pretty solid hey we're ready for a a week one rep for sure you'd 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 be real happy with that hey we we're nearing but I guess by the time people listening the the intro into the American so we we've synced (laughs) up we we we've gotten I don't know if we're out of off-season form but it's it's fresh new things it's early beginnings it's good news it's perfect readings of intros uh, the sun is shining. The tank is clean. <laughs> Finding Nemo reference. Any Pixar fans out there? <laughs> I don't know if we've had that yet on this podcast, but there's always something new on the Roost, post, Roost Pod. We're here for you guys. Uh, let's see. Going through our notes. Uh, a couple things to get to before we get to our guests. First off, with it being... Nearing up on Rice's move to the AAC becoming official, uh, I'm going to tease something here. The season preview content for the upcoming season is going to be live coming soon. To get access to that, you're going to want to subscribe on Patreon, like I've probably told you before. I haven't plugged that. I don't know. It's It maybe been a couple episodes since that's been. It's kind of off-season and, and baseball stuff, but patreon.com slash at the roost. Go there. We will have all of our off-season preview stuff. Some of that's going to be up right now when you hear it, and we'll have more coming in the next couple weeks. Got some position stuff, some team stuff, uh, a lot going into it, a lot going on this off-season uh, in the month of July in particular and August, and then, you know, it's actual football time. So you'll be ready. You want to be ready. So subscribe to The Roost on Patreon while you're at it, and then – uh, the only other thing we have of note is, as you do that, I can't think of a better way to celebrate Rice's move to a new conference than by getting yourself new comfortable clothing at homefieldapparel.com. Particularly yeah, if there's I mean, now on it. Yeah, I'm like there, like and it, hey, if you're if you're school agnostic, if you you subscribe to the hey, any comfy clothes with cool logos on them are okay with me. There. are Lots of owl-related choices. Um, uh, buy something. Is it from cheating to go city. get like a like a a temple? I haven't looked at the temple collection. Is there a temple collection? There probably is. This is home field. I would assume. Um, I do. I did see on like uh, there's a big what has functionally become a Rice alumni Facebook group um, that is. Mostly consists of like people complaining about the athletic department and po- and also posting pictures of owls. Um, but someone did post a picture <laughs> of a shirt that had uh, there is a temple collection. That I'm had, looking at it now. Uh, it is fantastic. Yeah, they I have like the same because, sailor owl with the hat that Rice does. Yeah, except oh, kind of, uh, and this owl looks. Uh, just as cranky as Sammy, but also 
like he maybe did some hard drugs before this uh, drawing. Was <laughs> we're we're going to so, have to talk about the owl. Uh, I personally owl love that. <laughs> so but, go but on, whether it's Temple or Rice. Uh, so I did post a picture of a shirt that had like an owl on it. And naturally, this being a rice group, it inspired a discussion of whether the owl had the correct number of talons in the correct places. And I'm not sure that was resolved satisfactorily. How, but how many talons does an owl? I, I'm afraid I don't, I don't know the answer. Ten? Uh, I think it's I think it's four, but there was some disagreement as to like when the owl is like in like attack mode, like which talons are or how many are like in the front and how many are in the back. <laughs> attack mode. But uh, someone later pointed out that that owl was in fact just the temple owl, like their standard current one, uh, recolored in rice blue. It was a very odd shirt. Um, okay. Not one that's on Homefield right now. Theirs are all uh, of much higher quality than that uh, and feature owls of varying degrees of uh, anger and sobriety. So, yeah, go ahead and check that out. Code is ROOST, R-O-O-S-T, 15% off your first order. And if you haven't got one yet, go to the comfiest shirts that I own and I'm seriously considering a temple. This is I we talked about doing a shirt of the week. I think on a prior pod, uh, our, our shirt of the week might, this week might be uh, go to the temple collection. And there's there's one that it 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 kind of it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's kind of scary. But that's my shirt of the week. <laughs> I do like I, I like the I really like the fight 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 one. I guess this is part of their. Uh, I kind of if it were blue. Yeah. Man, Never dies or something. We we could we could make it work. I'm, I feel like actually, you could modify that into a rice shirt very easily. I'm actually um, we're gonna get back to the people at home field and say, hey, could you please modify this? Because I I want it. We'll see. Also, what I'm learning from this. It says fight, fight, fight for the cherry and white. This is how I am learning live, live on the air, if you will. Podcast is uh, <laughs> a live medium naturally. Uh, that Temple's red is officially cherry, which good to know. There you go. We're trying to educate people. This is a Rice podcast. All right. And we're here now with Seth from the Daily Stampede. How's it going, Matt? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing good. We're enjoying our making our rounds. We're we're finally getting, knock on word, dare I say good at this, Carter, perhaps? Or at least seasoned. Seasoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a few under the belt now. So I'm still in I'm still in preseason camp, so you guys will have to forgive me if I uh, stutter here a little bit. We get some time. We use that excuse until about October. So there you go. Yeah, and then it starts to be the injuries are piling up, you know, and uh, you know the health just isn't there. Actually, we so, just need to pre-record all of these, so we're good to go. But speaking, I was going to say, speaking of October, let's pull up this. I should be more prepared. The Rice football schedule. I believe Rice's first AAC opponent. Uh, is probably an October game. It's got to be beginning of October, right? Against USF, which is where you come in. Can you uh, kind of give us the the flavor of, oh, it's September 23rd, end of September. Not quite October, but can you give us a flavor for how things are in uh, South Florida world, specifically with the Bulls? Yeah, so uh, things haven't been great uh, last last few seasons. Uh, 2019, right? Charlie Strong last year, he got fired for winning four games and then they 
went on to win four games the entire time Jeff Scott was the head coach. So um, new head coach this year, Alex Golish, offensive coordinator from Tennessee. So he's bringing that same offense. Um, last year, the offense wasn't an issue. They're actually uh, pretty good. If you guys are SP Plus followers, I think they were top 40 on offense last year. They lost a lot, though. Uh, had a couple receivers transfer to Coach Prime in Colorado. Um, but they got a couple guys back. Uh, Gary Bohannon was the starting quarterback. He transferred from Baylor. He got hurt early in the year. Uh, he's back. Byron Brown played the last two games, played really well at quarterback. He's back, so you've got a pretty good quarterback competition going to the fall. Got some skill guys transferred in, but you're not quite sure what you're going to get on that side of the ball yet with the new offense and uh, having to replace a ton of catches at receiver with those two guys going to Colorado. And then defensively, they were the worst defense in the country by most every metric. So um, we say there's, you know, you can only improve, but they've actually added a team to Division One, So <laughs> they could technically, they're they could technically get worse. Down yeah. to go. They could go down from 131 to 132. So, um, but, uh, you know, it's, they were pretty injured last year at times. Jeff Scott kind of felt, snake bit at times bad luck i think he made some of that bad luck himself but they were pretty injured uh especially on the defense side of the ball last year and didn't have the depth uh the roster when scott took over was pretty depleted he did a pretty good job getting transfers in and getting the talent level back up but he just couldn't win the games and so goalish is kind of um more talent to the roster trying to remake it a little bit there's a couple spots where they were heavy uh he came in he said during his uh a signing day press conference that it was egregious. They had 14 safeties and seven offensive linemen. I think he called it borderline criminal. Uh, so, but they've been, <laughs> they've figured that out. They've got, you the say, roster sorry, over. did you say seven offensive linemen? Yeah. Going into when he, when uh, they, cause they had pretty much four of the five starters graduated. Uh, and then it was kind of bare after that. Some guys left in the transfer portal, but, they got enough guys in uh, sign, early signing period and transfer guys to get that number up. But yeah, he said when he got on campus, he had seven and he said that was a borderline criminal, but they, they've kind of balanced the roster out a little bit. Uh, so there's some excitement going to the, into the season, especially because you imagine the defense can't get worse. The schedule might be a little bit easier. Last year's schedule was pretty tough, uh, but there's still uh, kind of a ceiling on optimism in year one a little bit. That's wild. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. The first is, as we were talking pre-recording about remembering things about all the teams in the AAC now that there's officially 14, if you would have put a gun to my head and said, who was the head coach at USF last year? <laughs> I don't know if I could have told you Jeff Scott, even though there was that, it was a big deal when he left Clemson. Uh, yeah, when, uh, that. When, when Strong was kind of up on the block, I was like, well, they're not going to get a guy like Jeff Scott, so your best chance to be okay next year is just keep Charlie strong rolling. Hope the coordinators he's brought in, you know, but Jeff Scott seemed like kind of a pipe dream. Like there was no chance they'd get him when they got him. You're like, Oh, okay. It makes sense why they, they fire strong and, and start over. But yeah, he just, it, I think he, uh, he made some mistakes early and in the COVID year, I think um, disguised some of those from him. He thought, Oh, he, he blamed more of the issues on the COVID year than, things he actually needed to change. And so his second year, he realized he needed to change some things going to year three. And by then it was too late. Um, so 
he was a nice guy, a uh, really good guy. Uh, just didn't quite work out. And so now USF's got a new head coach. Yeah, you said Charlie Strong. And in my mind, if name the previous head coaches at USF, I'm like, Willie Taggart was there for a while. Yeah. But he's been to like three places since then. Isn't he like, <laughs> yeah, isn't he then, like well, a position coach for the Ravens now? That what he's doing? I think so. Yeah, something like that. He's <laughs> there was rumors he was going to be the receivers coach at Colorado, and then he was at with the Ravens. I don't know. He's kind of he's made his way around a little bit himself. And the career uh, before him was Skip Holtz, and he just I think he won a USFL title last year. And oh, and Jim Levitt. Yeah, he was number Is one. That, so. Oh, that's right. At this point, well, USF has been around for, well, that's got to be 20 years or something. This is old hat compared to Charlotte and some of the new pups in the conference. <laughs> yeah, I think first game was in 97, so uh, not too old. Yeah, just, just recently celebrated the 25th anniversary, so still pretty young program. That's wild, going through all the lulls and stuff. And I think it's it's interesting. You mentioned the COVID year, and I think it's been particularly interesting because – you know, head coaches in today's college football only get – it used to be like a five-year window, right, which was really like a four-year window, and now it's kind of like a four-year window, which is really like if you don't have it figured out after two, you're basically gone. It's gotten scrunched yeah. up. And and I know things were really interesting at Rice with the COVID season. The Owls went two and three, ha- had a – big win over a top 15 Marshall team and then a bunch of funk. And it was kind of hard to work through it. And we still have a bunch of those COVID guys on the roster throughout college football. I think we're on like what rice has a 24 year old. How old is Bradley Rosner? I should know this 24 year old wide receiver. <laughs> we, we end up doing this every, every week. Every week. He's, th- he's going to be 30 next week. So it's almost out of the system, but is, is USF, I guess with the new head coach kind of rebooted, from from covid is it is it going down to like ground zero start over or are there still kind of a little bit of holdover like how's that kind of transition gone so they've they've actually you know colorado's gotten a lot of pub for how much they've turned the roster over i think usf's over 30 guys coming in like they, they've turned the roster over a decent bit already in this first year i think they're taking advantage of that same rule that a lot of first-year head coaches are now. I know Lincoln Riley did it at USC. Dion's doing it where you can kind of cut a guy from the roster but let him stay on scholarship if he just wants to go to school. And a lot of those guys hit the portal and leave. Uh, USF's they, they have – I think they have a couple maybe. I know – I'm pretty sure uh, the starting left tackle, Donovan Jennings, who broke his leg last year, uh, I think he's still a COVID holdover. Uh, like his eligibility would be up without COVID, I believe. Uh, there's not many more, um, but the new staff has brought in a bunch of new players. I think we're over well over 30 guys that have that come in. Um, and so I th- think by this time next year, the roster will be just about totally flipped from Jeff Scott era. There's a few holdovers. Um, and Scott, you know, he, as bad as he did, uh, he, he did not inherit a ton of talent. The team was really, especially for a team in Florida, you did not have any explosiveness. There wasn't really those kind of dynamic players on the roster. He got some in. Now, unfortunately for Golish, they transferred to Colorado or transferred somewhere else. But he he was able to increase the talent level where the next guy after him 
would have a chance, I think, to take that next step that he couldn't quite make. So I, you, you, they feel like they're kind of making that next step, but they'll still probably have the roster turned over totally next year and seemingly getting incrementally better. And, and I want to talk a little bit about Golish because, you know, we're talking about the Scott hire. It was like, man, somebody, somebody's going to pull away one of those Clemson coordinators and it's going to be a bonanza. He was a, a heralded top target. You know, it doesn't obviously doesn't always work out. But going through and thinking back during this, you know, coaching carousel, I know Golish had his name mentioned because he was a coordinator of a team that was Tennessee was a top five team at some point during the season, I believe. Finished six. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Very good team. Uh, obviously, a lot of that connected to Josh Heupel. But even still, I don't think he nationally probably had the amount of buzz that some other top assistants had, even in this cycle. So what was kind of the reaction from the fan base when Golush has gotten hired? And then, you know, after you've had a spring and some time to kind of process it, what is his stamp on the program? Uh, kind of how does it look different maybe than where it was under under Scott? And, and you know, what is he going to kind of instill in, in, you know, USF under him? So initially, you know, I think when when we were when Scott got fired and we started kind of putting together um, guys we would like, my, one of my big things, and I'm a I'm a former coach. One of my big things I thought, you know, with Scott, his biggest deficiency is he wasn't really a scheme guy. He kind of came in. He was uh, known as a great recruiter, and I think we've seen as these Clemson coaches have kind of gone out and spread out a little bit. They're not really diverse schematically, and then if you asked uh, our our buddy DJU up there in Oregon state, they, they didn't really do him any favors. Right. So I thought it was really important that they get a scheme guy in here. And Golish was a guy we listed kind of way down the line. Cause you really didn't know, is he calling, he's a coordinator, but is he calling the plays or is hypo calling the plays? And we've talked to some people around Tennessee and, and they're, you know, they, they're adamant that he was the play caller. Um, him and hypo would have, obviously they'd game plan it together and put the plan together and hypo had input, but, he was he was the play caller. So when you hear that, you, you're pretty excited. Uh, at least I was. Um, initially, there was some pushback that they didn't hire somebody with head coaching experience. They, some people thought, okay, they're just hiring Jeff Scott 2.0. Um, but to me, the big difference is Jeff Scott really only had experience at Clemson. He had some GA spots. Uh, I think he coached like Presbyterian. He coached at the high school level briefly, but by and large, he was at one spot his whole career with one coaching staff, knew how to do it one way. Golish has been around the block. He kind of came up. He was a student assistant at Ohio State. He coached on Matt Campbell's staff. Matt Campbell thought enough of him to bring him from Toledo to Iowa State as his recruiting coordinator. He coached at Illinois, um, came back to Iowa, or that's when he came with Iowa State to Campbell. Uh, then Hypel hired him, who was seemingly outside the tree, um, Hypo hired him to kind of run this offense at UCF for a year and then went with him to Tennessee and now he's at USF. So he's got some more experience to draw from. And I think you can kind of see that in the staff he hired. Hired some some experienced guys that have been around the block. Todd Orlando as the DC, uh, a name you guys might know from his time at Texas and Houston. And then, you know, he's, he brought some younger guys with him that were with him at Tennessee. So he's kind of got a good mix. And the biggest difference, I think, is kind of that background. It's a lot more diverse than Jeff Scott's was. And I think that's really interesting because I guess my initial assumption would be this would be the Tennessee offense. Is that what he's going to try and instill or is it going to be 
Uh, I, I don't know what I don't know what traditional means in college football <laughs> yeah. nowadays, but the Tennessee <laughs> offense is decidedly not traditional. Yeah, it seems like, you know, just from what we saw in the spring game, it seems like he's bringing over what you saw Tennessee running last year. Um, now, we'll see if if because there's like like I mentioned, they lost their two best receivers. They lost, uh, I think, three of their top. I think they only had one of their top eight pass catchers or something like that coming back. Uh, they got some big time transfers in, at least from where they're coming from, right? Uh, Texas is and, and schools like that. They've got some guys coming in, but we haven't seen them play yet. So I don't know what it's going to look like. But I think schematically, it's going to look, they want it to look like what happened at Tennessee last year. Will it be as successful? It's probably hard to say it will be as successful as Tennessee was last year, but um, I think Tennessee USF Junior. fans are just hoping. Yeah, I think USF fans are just hoping it's just about as good as the offense was last year at USF. If it's close to that and the defense improves, with the schedule being what it is, um, I think they'll be able to win more than one game. And I think it's going to be interesting. This has been a hot button conversation for Rice fans in recent years, but it all comes down to quarterback. And man, especially with this COVID year and the extra year of eligibility and the transfer portal and 14 iterations of it, it feels like every single day we get to a point where this guy and you're like, oh, yeah, he's in this place now. And you're like, OK. And so I remember the pomp and circumstance of Gary Bohannon leaving Baylor and because mm. that was they told him right after or it was right right around after the spring and he could leave yeah. and pick his new. Like that was a whole like, what? And he lands it at USF. And then I haven't thought about Gary Bohannon since <laughs> we had all that entire situation. But he had a really good run at Baylor and was yeah. very effective. And you can kind of talk us through his time at, at USF and then speak some hope for us as Rice fans having a highly touted former blue chip recruit coming to town and hoping he's good. All right, I'll start with I'll start with Gary Bohannon, but I got something for JT Daniels. So, um, all right, uh, Bohannon, uh, yeah. So he he started kind of slow last year. They really started off really slowly uh, against BYU. They got whacked in that game. I thought Bohannon played all right, um, but you know there's obviously time he needed, especially not being a guy that was there in spring, needed some time to kind of gel. They started to come together and kind of figure out uh, what how what the offense should be. And he was his legs were heavily involved, and he was kind of once they got into conference play, he was, looked like he was going to have a good year. Um, they're playing uh, Tulane and kind of going shot for shot with him, and then he gets hurt. Tulane kind of pulls away, and we all knew what, uh, Tulane was an offense, but it was a pretty tight game when Bohannon got hurt. He had a couple of touchdown passes in that game, got hurt in the first half, I believe, and then he was out for the rest of the year. He missed spring, still rehabbing. He's ahead of schedule. Uh, but he should be good to go for the season. And then he's going to be competing mostly against Byron Brown, who played two games at the end of last year and played really, really well. I think he had like 20 straight completions against Tulsa on a Thursday night or something like that. Um, so he, he's really talented, but we'll see who takes over. For JT Daniels, um, I actually – so I like I said earlier, I'm a former coach, so I do like uh, film breakdowns. Uh, I had one two years ago on JT Daniels in Georgia. And I was like, well, Georgia's offense is ready to take off. You know, I, I think he's the guy. I just picked the wrong guy. I, I mean, but in my defense, Kirby Smart. <laughs> Half too, credit. Right? Yeah, Kirby Smart picked JT Daniels too. So I don't feel too bad about it. But 
you know, I thought he was really talented. Obviously, he had a good supporting cast there. Uh, he had a big arm. He could push the ball down the field. I don't know why he didn't start over Stetson Bennett. Obviously, we saw Bennett as kind of a gamer and a uh, pretty good college quarterback. But, you know, I, I thought they were pretty good on offense when JT Daniels was playing as well. You go back and watch uh, the game against Cincinnati. He was letting it rip. Did some big shots down the field of Pickens. Uh, and I did a video on him, uh, Varnador Films on YouTube, if you want to watch some JT Daniels at Georgia. But uh, I, I think he's super talented and in the right system. He can do some things. There you go. This is actually why we brought you on the podcast. We need all of the uh, really JT Daniel. I'm ready. Yeah, this is what we're here for. The, the, you you got to float the Heisman campaign early in June, July. By the time we get to September and he has those two big non-conference games, we're laying the groundwork. <laughs> if, if last year's any indication, USF might help him out too. They'll help him on that campaign. So <laughs> we'll see. I, I thought you were going to go to the most, uh, you know, obviously most important, you know, former blue chip recruit from a, a major school that transferred to USF in uh, uh, our old friend Blake Barnett. Oh, hey, Blake Barnett is a, uh, he was, uh, so yeah, I, my first year covering the team was his last year playing. He got hurt. Uh, now he's, uh, I know he's a quarterback coach now, and I think he's like a, a barbecue, like makes barbecue too. He's all over. He's all over the place, so he's doing some good oh. stuff. A renaissance man. Yeah. I, I, I only reason I know this, I think when the hurricane hit down here, he went down there and like cooked for a bunch of people. So nice guy, Blake Barnett. From what I there can go. see on Twitter. Interesting career since he left Tuscaloosa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so other than the the train of interesting quarterbacks, is is there anybody else on the offense that? You can hold on to and might be some might be something because what you mentioned losing the entire offensive line, all the pass catchers. Uh, yeah. There might not be anybody left, but one or two guys that the USF fan base might get have the chance to get excited about this year. So they've been pretty uh, they've been pretty loaded. You know, the last couple. One guy I didn't even mention uh, that ended up kind of getting the bulk of the carries last year was Brian Petit. He's at he's now at Auburn. Uh, he was an All-American last year, I believe, uh, and he's been an All-American kick returner in the past. Um, he was awesome running back, but they've been pretty loaded at running back for a while. Um, the guy that everyone thought was going to be the starter last year was Kelly Joyner. He got hurt in camp, and Batie kind of took the job and ran with it, no, no pun intended. Uh, Joyner's back. He's He's a guy that was like a high school phenom. Really good player. Uh, when they signed, he broke his leg in his senior year of high school. Charlie Strong said if he didn't break his leg, he wouldn't have been signing with us. Um, and then they got a transfer from Florida, Naquan Wright, who started uh, for Florida early in the season, was a starting tailback when they beat Utah. Um, so he's a pretty good player out of Miami. They've got some – and then they've got some names at the receiver position – uh, you know, Choffrey Brown's a, a speed. I think he's a guy that might fit the offense really well. He's a really explosive speed guy from he, he played at University of North Carolina. He was hurt a little bit last year. Yusef Terry and Seth Jones both transferred from Baylor. Terry was here last year, didn't do much. Uh, then they got a, a transfer from uh, Wagner, I believe, one double A. Naeem Simmons, slot receiver, was productive at that level. I don't know if it, we'll see if it'll translate, but. They just got a lot of unproven guys at receiver, but I think they're going to kind of lean on that running back group. And that, that group is talented. 
and you just got me thinking how how Florida is this team because I know that's just something that talking with other folks that cover programs around Florida if there's any state that you need to have a gets very up uppity about most of our rosters from so and so the no. Florida schools they're near the top of wanting to be homegrown yeah I'm sure I'm sure out in Texas it's probably similar uh but yeah there you know this is not um there there's a good mix there, there's not there hasn't been a great job of what you what the strategy USF's been recently is you're going to lose out on guys the first round of recruiting catch them when they bounce back catch them when they when they decide you know what Minnesota's too cold Iowa State's too cold uh I'm going to come back home so there's there's definitely a good Florida contingent on here um there's also a, a good bit of Georgia and the Carolinas too um, I think that's probably where they need to focus. Golish is kind of bringing in a little bit of a different footprint to start. They signed two kids from California this past year. Uh, one, Jaquan Smith is probably going to play. He's originally from Florida, moved to California. He's like a 10, 400 meters guy. He's a receiver, so he'll play, I think, early. Um, but there's So there's there's a decent mix. I think going forward, they probably like more Florida guys. But, you know, what's happening in Florida is that they don't pay – high school coaches very well in Georgia they pay him really well so the football in Georgia is getting better and better and better and the football in Florida I think has got better athletes but they're not quite hitting that same level so you're seeing schools going to Georgia a little bit more and Florida's getting a little bit picked over so now I think you're going to see a good mix of Florida and Georgia and then sprinkle in the Carolinas Tennessee and, and probably a little bit of Texas too if you can yeah Atlanta's been skyrocketing the talent coming out of there has been there's been some big name guys yeah there's there's like over there might be over 15 guys in georgia making a hundred thousand dollars a year as high school head coaches there's i would i would venture there's not 15 guys in florida making 20 so uh maybe some private school guys but yeah so the money's good there a lot of good coaches go there uh i know one guy i worked with and uh, at the college level, his dad coached for like 40 years. He was a head coach in Georgia, got him a coordinator job. Uh, he instantly made like double what he made as a head coach in Florida being a coordinator in Georgia. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's there's a, a mass migration of coaching talent out of Florida. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how the state does in terms of continually churning out great players. We got a whole that's a whole separate podcast. We can go to the yeah, that's, coaching that's dynamics big, of the, the high school yeah, ranks. Um, yeah, we've come a long I, I, way. It's from... having an effect. I think you see uh, how good Georgia does in their home state, especially without a lot of resistance from Georgia Tech. So it's kind of it's having an effect a little bit. Hey, they were about to get primed for a hot minute. Yeah, it's tough. It's I think the I think Colorado said we'll drop our academic standards. Georgia Tech said I don't, we're not going to. Uh, I know Colorado wouldn't take transfers for other staff. So how times have changed. Funny enough. Yeah. Separate podcast. Uh, we hit offense. I do want to ask you a little bit about defense because this is, this is something that, and I know you mentioned uh, SP plus and Bill C has an entire uh, machine around returning production. But as he says, and I know it's worth talking about uh, having high re- a number of returning production, isn't always good if they're not good. So I know the offense turned over a lot. Uh, more names returning on the defense likely and 
is that a good thing? Well, I, you know, what's funny is they were like, I think they were second, first or second in the country last year in returning production. So that played it out perfectly for anybody that doubted Bill C there. Uh, yeah, USF was <laughs> one or two on offense and defense. They're high up. So, yeah, no, no I think the, the one of the bigger issues last year defensively, now you lost two guys that have played a ton for you. Dwayne Boyles graduated. He just got drafted in the XFL draft. Uh, and then Antonio Greer transferred to Arkansas. Um, so those were two your starting linebackers for like three or four years, guys that played a ton. Uh, but Greer was hurt for most of last year, so you've got some guys that got um, some experience. I think, you know, they expect this unit to take a step forward. They got some good transfers in. Lloyd Summerall is a guy that played quite a bit at Florida, especially after uh, Brenton Cox got kicked off the team there. He decided he wanted to transfer closer to home. Uh, he said it wasn't really an issue. He just wanted to move on from Florida. He's probably going to be your starting kind of edge player, that outside linebacker, defensive and hybrid. He's, I think he's going to have a pretty good year. They had, they've got some guys healthy. They've gotten some power five transfers on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, they got a, a kid transferring from Texas. It's kind of in that same position. Uh, DJ Harris is, is Summerall. So you feel a lot better about your depth. And that's kind of been the issue. The talent level was a little better front line. Then those guys got hurt. It wasn't great behind them. They feel like they have some more depth and some more competition. Hopefully all that mixed with the new scheme leads to a little more production. But also perhaps at the same time with how t the offense is going to be running, does that naturally put the defense in, in a hole to some degree? It feels like it did at times at, at Tennessee. Yeah, I think so. That I, that's a good question. I what the way I'm thinking about it is, you know, to me, there's not too many ways to improve defensively. It's a lot of I think it's mostly personnel driven. Like to be really good on defense, you mostly have to have really good players, and that's somewhat out in the data that there's some correlation between recruiting ranking and defense. Um, but what you can do is like USC last year. If you know you're not going to be very good, well, you can play high variance if you think your offense is good. So if my offense is good, I'm going to try to go for a ton of turnovers, try to generate as many negative plays as I can. If I give up a bunch of points, it's okay. My offense is good. If I get three or four turnovers, I win the game. That's kind of how USC played last year a little bit. I think they want to do that. They want to play kind of high variance defense, try to force a bunch of negative plays. They're probably going to give up some explosives but you hope the offense can make up for it if I can get in the ball two extra times a game. Okay, now I'm mad at you. I was trying to put the USC defense out of my mind in that game because I think watching three rice pick sixes <laughs> in a single fun. game is something that I never wanted to remember again. The, the, the tough part of this for USF fans, though, that I haven't really mentioned yet, so I don't know if I mentioned it on, on USF air here, uh, there, but uh, well, I mentioned USC's defense, their coordinator the year before when they were really bad was Todd Orlando. So, about to say, you know, <laughs> so we're just kind of playing musical chairs a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, but to I, be I fair, just, it's I, kind of a grab bag with Orlando at this point, because I feel like he's been everywhere for a good mix of probably about a half good and half really bad defenses. Yeah. And I, I think Golish has really wanted somebody that's aggressive and is going to play that high variance style. Cause I think he feels like that fits kind of, you know, he needs a guy to understand that, Hey, you're going to have to, you're going to give up yards 
in points because we're going to try to go really fast. So sometimes we're going to score a bunch and you're going to get on the field fast. Sometimes we're going to go three and out fast and you're going to get back on the field. So I think he, he kind of, and it was smart of him to find somebody that I think meshes with his style. Uh, that could be really good, but I think it's kind of both sides of the ball are going to be a little boom or bust. It's interesting. So, well, while we trying... continue to use the the Bill C terminology, we're going for high havoc rates here. Is what we're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that's. I well, think no. that's really. That's really. He's. He was kind of. And that's something Orlando has been pretty good at, consistently generating a bunch of turnovers, even though it's not necessarily a skill. But he consistently generates turnovers and and havoc plays. So, I, I think that's kind of what he was looking for. And Orlando was at, at FAU, so he's already recruiting the area a little bit. Um, so there's kind of a fit there. Also, while we're there, Bill, if you're listening, I just want to say I miss the advanced stat profiles that you used to post at SB Nation before ESPN. I miss them with literally all of my soul. You could just, Please. You could just look up all of the like, like the success rates and the the havoc rates and like broken down by like down and all this stuff and and it just, uh, I'm happy he's happy he's got the the job at ESPN, but I miss I miss those stat profiles. They made like researching teams so easy to like look for the actually important stuff. Would not be a rice podcast without us admitting that we like to copy other people's work when it's done well. <laughs> hey man, somebody's got to aggregate all of these things. They're out there, but I don't. Who's got time to go look all that up individually? Yeah, I don't know, but it's interesting. No reason to you do the work yourself if somebody else already has. That's right. You got it. Well, and I was going to say, you got me thinking because the the juxtaposition there, because every time you talk to every every coach, it feels like in any level of football is, you know, we're going to be, they'll give you the coach speak about how they're going to be good, good at this and good at that and good at that and great at that. And we're going to be, we're going to lean on this, but we're going to be, you know, multiple, they use all the buzzwords and whatnot. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone from a coaching perspective outright say, we're okay being bad we're substandard on one side of the ball because we're going to be elite at the other one. But it's interesting because you bring that up and intuitively it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. I think to me, it's it's, it's the quickest way to turn, to make a bad defense serviceable somewhat is just, okay, play high variance. Just try to rip at the ball every time. If we generate turnovers, that's just as good as going three and out, you know, we're, we're getting the ball back. So yeah, it's just kind of a different way to look at it. I think, you know, USC last year and sorry to bring it up again, was kind of really like, if you watch them play every week, people are like the defense is terrible, but somehow they were in the playoff hunt until the very end. Right. So, and, and they were crazy high in the turnover margin. They can't keep this up all year. Well, they kind of did, but I think that was by design They're They realized, you know what, we're not very good. We're going to give up a lot of explosives anyways. Who cares if we give up a couple more if we generate a bunch of turnovers? So I think that's kind of the calculus you have to play when you when you inherit, especially when you inherit a really bad defense. Year one, you may just want to be hyper aggressive and and just try to generate some turnovers and things like that just to just to see if you can get some production out of that unit. Well, and if that's kind of the 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 level set of coming in, what is what does success look like in I don't know if we have a year one anymore or year zero or whatever this season is going to be year 0.5 for, for USF. You're going to feel happy if you get to the end of the, end of the year and USF is, is what? 
You know, I think, you know, <laughs> three wins is like, it sound doesn't sound great, but, you know, their record the last, you know, the last four seasons, one and 11, two and 10, one and eight, four and eight. If you can hit three or four, you feel pretty good. Uh, I think the schedule sets up where they can get there. Um, yeah, you got that be, cupcake game against that school from Tuscaloosa at home, right? That's right, baby. That, you know, you gotta <laughs> you gotta bring in some of these teams in early. You gotta get those cupcakes out of the way. Family, <laughs> every Alabama, time, every back time to back. This, the fact that Alabama is visiting USF still doesn't look right. <laughs> Listen yeah, up, you Nick. Know, nobody just rolls into Tampa. That's right. <laughs> you don't roll into Tampa and take over the pirate ship. <laughs> That's not how it works. Yeah, you don't you don't get to fire the cannons in, in Raymond James. So, yeah. Oh, wait, I, how many it, points do you have to win by as the opposing team to fire the cannons? That that would make it more interesting. Give give Nick Saban a goal. If there was a number, we would have found it the last few years. So I don't. I, there must not be one. <laughs> so well, the, the last time Alabama played in t- in that stadium, I'm ninety nine percent sure was the championship game after the twenty sixteen season. So. Um, I don't know if Nick has PTSD from that, but I certainly do. So uh, if, if, if giving the fans trauma counts for anything, then you've got that on your side at least. There we go. They, they got, they'll have to come in and vanquish the ghost of the past there. It'll be a little bit different than that Clemson team, though. <laughs> their opponent will be slightly different. A little bit. So three-ish wins, at least that point you can say, hey, it was more than last year and kind of a, at least a, a proof of concept that this might work. Yeah, I think, you know, I think how they play is also going to be, you know, interesting. You know, if they're exciting and their offense is great, you know, because that's kind of, I think that's a big selling point right now for goals on the recruiting trails. Hey, look at my offense. It's always been good. Um, if he comes in and is successful with it, year one, which it's this is kind of the big question for me is with the personnel like everywhere this offense has gone it's been really successful really quickly um kind of regardless of what was there before now maybe they've always gone to places that have some talent that they can take advantage and immediately see some success but you know if he's able to have that success it'll, it'll help immensely on the recruiting trail so you know if they're okay three wins but the offense is great and the defense is just a little bit better. I think people would be all right with it. You know, I, I think there's a possibility to get three plus bowl game. I think they might start the statue for goalish. Uh, some people would, but um, you know, I, I think three plus is kind of the number you get over that. You feel good, especially the last few years, obviously um, you know, there's some people that think it'll be a little bit more, but I think over three, with how it's been the last few years, you can sell kind of the vision going forward. Less than that, then they're worse off than we think. I was about to say, that's the the, the measured answer. Is, is the fan base more or less lockstep with lockstep with just, just show me a little bit better? Is it okay? Or are they like maybe some other schools in Florida, FAU, that uh, are going <laughs> to freak out if you don't contend for a conference championship? I think with the things happening around the program, like, you know, the, the, the on-campus stadium, the, the funding for that has been approved. So they're in the process of that. Um, allegedly it'll be ready to go for the 2026 season. So people with, with those kind of projects, they just finished the indoor practice facility last year. Uh, so there's been some investment made in the program. 
and there's big projects like the on-campus stadium in the in the near future i think people are okay as long as they see the program moving forward obviously they like to peak i think right towards 2025 2026 as you're going into the stadium uh kind of start seeing the fruits of the the work that's being done now i, I think people will be all right with that as long as there's some forward momentum so this year i think as long as you're competitive and winning three plus games you're happy next year you're hoping to make that bowl game jump and then 25 and 26 uh, as you get ready to go into this new stadium you're hoping to have a competitive team and then that plus, you know, USF just got AAU status. Um, that those two things combined, hopefully, for the next round of realignment, then maybe you can get, uh, you can jump on the carousel there if you have some success in football and basketball, which has eluded them uh, the past few years, and probably one of the that plus lack of investment, uh, one of the reasons they're got left behind, so to speak. And you start talking about 2026. I'm like, I don't know who's going to be the head coach at either of our programs in 26 or what conference no. they're going to be in. Or... No, that's 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 the big date though right now in, in USF. The on-campus stadium has been something uh, some people have been asking for probably since forever, day one. right? Yeah, so it's finally going forward. Um, just got the the funding just got approved recently, so it's it's happening. There's been talks about it. They've done studies in the past of feasibility, and it hasn't happened. But now it's it seems to be happening. Uh, so that's the, kind of the biggest thing people are most excited about, uh, and hopefully having a winning team in there that first year. So I think people are right for the build as long as it's building. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if by year three the recruiting's terrible and they're they're stagnant, it'll probably be a different story. But as of now, you know, Golish has done everything right. He's um, He seems to be a super confident guy. Uh, if you watch him in his pressers, uh, we had an interview with him. He's, he's really media friendly, but he's very confident. Um, so, you know, I think fans are kind – of, that's kind of rubbing off on fans. They feel good about the hire now. Uh, they're happy with him. He's done a pretty good job in recruiting. And if he can kind of keep making those steps forward, they feel like they got a pretty good guy here. That's good. All right. We always close these things out. I didn't prep you with this. I warned you some of the other, but we always close this. I, I This is not a visual medium, but I see your eyes getting wide. So you pace yeah. yourselves. Uh, we close every every one of these episodes out with a lightning round where we put you on your feet figuratively or, or metaphorically. Have you think through this really quite, really fast? We won't force you to name all 14 teams in the AAC this year i've been studying uh, <laughs> yeah y'all are every every guest is being prepped next year there's no excuses even if the membership changes we need everybody everybody up to snuff but yeah we'll we, might, go we might lose smu maybe i don't know I, it, they've been trying to be lost for a long time now and they're still here <laughs> don't tell the ponies that's a different episode um but we'll go through a little bit about usf a little bit about a about the aac some big picture things and uh see what you got Sound good? Sure. We'll start you off easy. USF 2023, who leads the team in touchdowns? Uh, let's go Naquan Wright. All right. On the other side of the ball, you mentioned a couple guys on that D-line, but who leads the team in sacks? Lloyd Summerall. Okay. Maybe a little bit harder. Who won't be 
player-wise, a player that won't be a preseason all-conference selection, but he probably should be. Oh, should be. Oh, let's say Lloyd, I'll, say, I'll say Lloyd Summerall again. I, I, it's, it's, I think he's kind of flying under the radar. He's talented. So if he leads the team in sacks, he'll, be, he'll, he'll have a chance. We talked about this with somebody else, but are we at the point where we can start putting transfers on all conference preseason all conference list? Cause that's been like taboo for forever. Like yeah. you have to have done it here, but at some point, can't we just say we think he's really good. Is that allowed? I think you can. I'm sure Caleb Williams got some last year. Maybe I don't, I mean, he might not have been over <laughs> Cam rising, but uh, yeah, I think it's all right. Uh, I think it's this level. It's maybe harder though. Cause you're not quite sure. Sometimes you're not quite sure where, why the guy is coming here or if he's, you know, uh, I think it might be a little bit tougher at kind of the G G five level, but let's throw them on there. I say, why not? Okay. We'll see. Well, not, but could be got to keep, got to keep your uh, answer kosher. Um, all right. Bigger picture AAC in general for 2023. Who's just one player non USF related that you enjoy watching the most all at the AAC. I mean, it's going to say I mean, Pratt at Tulane. That's probably a common answer. I'd imagine he's, he's a stud. So uh, he's probably a guy uh, that's been a lot of fun. Um, SMU always seems to have somebody at quarterback that, that can sling it around or a receiver that's unbelievable. So they, they've they been pretty fun to watch offensively as a offensive guy, but I, I, one guy Pratt sticks out. I think that's probably a cop out, but. Hey, we've been getting predominantly Tulane answers which is yeah. bizarre <laughs> considering where Tulane was at this point last year. But uh, a lot of programs wouldn't mind a, uh, t- to pull a Tulane, as uh, somebody put yeah. it on a prior episode. Yeah, well, Florida was trying to pull uh, pull Pratt from Tulane, and it didn't happen. So <laughs> they ended up with Graham Mertz. So. Oh, what a consolation prize. Sorry, Gators. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can't speak too soon. I guess we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, they'd probably rather have JT Daniels. Um, anyhow, um, <laughs> I didn't think we were going to get any Florida slander slander in here, but I'm I'm always good for it. Uh, back to USF for 2023 uh, rookie of the year. I think Jake Quan Smith, uh, receiver out of California. Like I said, he's he's like a 10 400 meter strike guy, so super explosive. If they can't find that guy on the roster. Um, and I don't know if they have a slot that fits that description. I think Drake wants Smith would be the guy. Okay. Uh, going up a little bit, team MVP. Um, you know, I'll say I think Bohannon's going to end up being the starter, and if he stays healthy, I think this offense fits him, so I'll go Gary Bohannon. Um, if he stays healthy the whole year, which I think is maybe a big if, but he's been healthy in the past, I think he'll put up some good numbers. What's your read on that? Because it's it's always a competition until it's not right. How how likely do you think it it it, it will be Bohannon that gets the start at least opening day? I think it's. I mean, he didn't. So he didn't play in spring. Uh, Brown competed with Bryce Archie, who is a transfer from Coastal Carolina. I thought Brown separated himself a little bit from Archie as the clear winner in spring. But it really seems the way they talk about it, the Bohannon's going to be the guy. Uh, now Brown's super talented, so you never know. Uh, but if I had to place a bet, I'd be betting on Bohannon pretty heavily. Okay. And then if you had to place a bet 
on who wins the AAC. Now, you can't pick USF. Nobody can pick the school they cover. So you got to pick somebody other than USF to win the AAC this year. Who's it going to be? Uh, you know, I you'd probably stick with a Tulsa, I think. Or not a Tulsa. A Tulsa? Lord. Yeah, We're going to call these guys right now. That's no. our first Tulsa vote. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, let's go. I'd probably say Tulane. I think. Uh, I do think UTSA is going to come in and be really competitive, though. So I think they're, uh, I think they'll come in and be pretty competitive in the conference. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, you know the championships between those two, and then uh, SMU's kind of lurking there as well. So kind of roundabout. I'll say Tulane just because of the quarterback, but you know I think there's two in Texas that could challenge them. Okay, so far our straw poll is coming back with UTSA and Tulane. I think almost consensus. I don't think we've had any votes for anybody else. I, so, I think it, which will make things different. I'll say SMU, but uh, I, I no, I may. Makes... I think it makes sense for a reason. There's a reason that Tulane yeah. I, and you talk about quarterbacks. Uh, there's a probably one A and one B as far yeah. as guys who have done it at this level in this conference. I'll see it. All right, other side, uh, surprise team in the AAC. Somebody that's going to come out of nowhere. In one way or another. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I like hmm, that, that's a difficult one, uh, especially because so many teams are escaping me. But uh, you know, I think you had, <laughs> how you many had, can you name? That's it. I, 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 <laughs> I think I, I accidentally uh, X'd out the screen where I had all the schedule up. Uh, I think FAU may be surprising with. You know, uh, transfers, they got in at quarterback, Tom Herman. Um, they've got some skill position talent there. So if Herman can kind of get his offense going really quickly, I think they might be surprising. Um, they're probably better than their record is with the previous coaching staff. So I'm going to say FAU might, might surprise some people. Not being able to escape Tom Herman so far is my favorite and least favorite thing about the new, <laughs> the new AAC. It was not expected. <laughs> well, we he are. was uh, he he apparently was uh, wanted this job a little bit, so he would have been he might he would have been in your face one way or the other, I guess. You just can't shake those Florida schools. No. I'll see. Well, this was this was fun. Uh, where for for people, I guess not reading but listening, uh, listeners, where can uh, they kind of tune in to see what you were doing? Because I think it's I think it's interesting. And even though fans of Rice that might not care about the inner goings of what's going on at USF, I think the program building aspect is really interesting, especially in today's era of college football, to see what's being tried and what's being done. So where can we kind of follow along that journey? of usf and you know maybe i'm crossing my fingers now get a, a new stadium constructed yeah uh you can follow me on twitter at seth varnador on youtube i'm at varnador films we're kind of in the middle we're gonna we're, we're gonna launch a new venture here pretty soon probably in the next month or so uh regarding uh usf coverage so we don't have all the details ironed out yet but if you follow me on twitter at seth varnador uh we'll be putting that stuff out when it becomes available. So there you go. That's what you call a tease. Very good tease. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Now we've got to figure out the details, but at least I gave myself a month, right? That was the... <laughs> 
You're that's true. We haven't told you when this is being posted. So, uh, oh yeah, just a month from whenever you hear this. Start the clock ticking. Hold you for ransom (laughs) on the pirate ship. (laughs) Well, there we go. There we go. Full circle. Well, all right. Uh, thanks to you all for listening. Uh, thanks for Seth. Thanks, thanks to Seth again for hopping on with us. Uh, we're chugging Lyra right along through now. I think we've hit majority of Rice's AAC schedule at this point, but we'll we'll be here to finish it out with you for the rest of the summer. Uh, and then month or so, we'll be coming up on camp time. So stick with us, and it'll be here before you know it. So thanks again, and Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.